Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Neil, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Edge Church, and I'm so glad to be with you today. Um, last week, Pastor Steve kicked off our brand new series uh, called Active Discipleship, and the focus of this next um, this next part of this series is worship, uh, which is one of the core values we hold to as a community. So we want to make sure that we are diving into each of these subjects as, as fully um, as we possibly can so that we can encourage our whole community to be active in doing the things that we're discussing because we know that we don't want to be just people that talk about it. We want to be about it. Our goal as a church community is not just to gather knowledge. Knowledge is good, but if it doesn't lead to a change in actions, it really is pretty inconsequential to us. Um, so we want to become a people who honors God more fully each day, more so than we did the previous days. And we want to go in that path our entire life. And one of the ways that we do that is through worship. I appreciate what Pastor Steve shared last week um, in describing what worship is, that it's really um, about ascribing worth. Now, who are we ascribing worth to when we worship God? Obviously, it's God, but it helps us to remember who God is and, and what his characteristics are. God is the beginning and the end of all things. He is the creator and sustainer of everything. And ultimately, he's the savior of all who would submit their lives to him. And in light of these incredible realities about who God is, we echo the words of John in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 13. And it says, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. When I picture the vastness that, that this, this image like sort of conjures up in my mind, I, I, I hear a chorus of voices and all of heaven pointing to the goodness and preeminence and the complete holiness of Jesus. I am overwhelmed in my senses and I actually feel at, at a loss for words that do justice to this incredible picture. When I think of the Lord and how he elicits such honor and praise, I know that I can entrust him with more than I do today. And, and that I, I also know that I can ask him for more than I've asked him for in the past. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul said it like this, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Now here's the thing. I know that I can imagine a lot of things, and I also know that I ask God for plenty of things. But this passage inspires me to worship more wholeheartedly than ever. And one of the ways that I can do that is by asking God with bolder requests. I can ask, I can say, Lord, I, this is the biggest that I can imagine. Help me to even imagine bigger things. And I know that no matter how big of requests that I make of God, it will pale in comparison ultimately to what he can do. He deserves more of us and more from us. Today we're going to focus on worship specifically as a sacrificial response to God. When you think of a sacrifice, it might make you think of a number of things. You might think of not spending as much money on yourself so that you can better take care of your family. That's a good thing. 
You might think of a time that you pulled over on the side of the road to, to help someone who was having car trouble, or maybe they were scared because so many vehicles were driving past so quickly. Or you might think of getting up earlier in the new year to spend more time with the Lord and, and reading scripture or prayer. Or maybe it's just simply to develop a better gym habit in 2023. No matter what, though, in each of those scenarios, you're sacrificing something, and sacrifice signifies a cost. A cost of money, a cost of energy, a cost of time, but there's always a cost associated with sacrifice. Now, in the book of Romans, uh, we get this beautiful theological piece. It's a great theological book. The first 11 chapters are all about God's great mercy expressed to his people through the sacrifice that Jesus made in order that we sinful humans might be able to come home to God. And Romans chapter 12, verse 1, speaks in light of that, and this is what Paul writes. Therefore, and he's referring, of course, to God's grace and mercy, he said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Paul is essentially saying to the church at Rome, which was full of Jews and non-Jews who all claimed Jesus as Lord, he was saying that what Jesus did for you actually calls for a right response. And it's not a small, it's not a small response, and it's not um, a casual response, it's not a haphazard response, but it's to give God authority over every single aspect of your life to hold absolutely nothing back from him because you recognize that everything you have is a gift from him. From the breath in your lungs all the way to your salvation and your restored relationship with God through the mercy of Jesus himself. Now, the idea of a living sacrifice that Paul talks about in Romans 12.1, it would have really stood out to the Jewish converts to Christianity the most. And that's because of the system and the practices that were a part of the old way in the Old Testament that were instituted by God so that sinful people could be in right standing with God. It all began back with Adam and Eve because after Adam and Eve sinned, God actually had to cover their sin with the skins of animals. And we see the picture of the first sacrifice, and it's actually a foreshadowing of, of the gospel that's to come, that, that the, the sinless lamb of the world was going to die for the sins of his people. But God showed up, and he showed us through the, the covering of Adam and Eve a pattern of what was going to come in the Old Testament. Fast forward a little bit to the book of Exodus, and we see Moses, he received the Ten Commandments from God. And right around that same time, God gave him very specific requirements for sacrifices that the people were to offer to the Lord. Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, this is what God told the people. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. Pastor and author A.W. Pink, he described the altar like this. There it stood, ever smoking, ever bloodstained, ever open to any guilty Hebrew that might wish to approach it. The sinner, having forfeited his life by sin, another life, an innocent life, must be given in his stead. 
The Israelites worshipped God by making animal sacrifices that God had prescribed for them. And it was messy, it was bloody, and it cost a lot. It cost the animal its life. And it cost the people part of their livelihoods for something that was even more important, which was access to God, being in right relationship with him. Now, in the Old Testament, the center of worship for the people was either the, the tabernacle or the temple, where people made sacrifices to God to temporarily um, allow them to have access to God or, and to be in right relationship with him. Jewish historian Josephus said that during every Passover year, every celebration, hundreds of thousands of lambs were brought to Jerusalem by people offering their worshipful, worshipful sacrifice to God as God required of them. Now, worship is definitely more than a song. It's a sacrifice to God in recognition of who he is because we recognize who we are. Then Jesus came and he changed everything. He flipped the Old Testament system on its head. He actually completed it. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, it says, Unlike the other high priests, he, referring to Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He, Jesus, sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Now today, you might notice, we don't offer uh, physical sacrifices in, in order to garner God's favor because Jesus gave us favor with God because of what he did. And we don't believe in any form of salvation that's based on our good works. We don't believe at, at all that there's anything that we can do that's good enough to make us good with God because Jesus is the way to heaven. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 8 and 9, and then in verse 10, he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I, I think it's really, really important to hear that again. It is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Why is this so important? Because I think we are just geared as people to feel like we need to do better so that we can earn approval and favor of God. It's easy to forget verse 10, but it's essential that we don't disconnect it from the passage. It says, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Did you catch that? Um, it's not only that God has good things for us to do. Sometimes we sort of like miss the whole point of this, this passage. It's that we are what? What does the Bible say we are? It says that we are God's handiwork. Yes, it's about things that he has for us to do, but what, what he's saying, he's making a claim to us. He's saying that if you are submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, if you have received salvation from Jesus, then we are his then we are to offer our lives to him because we are his by virtue of being created by him and then by being saved um, from sin and death by him as well. So what does it look like for you and me to be the living sacrifices that Paul talks about in Romans 12? Now, before we get into the application of what it looks like to worship the Lord with um, sacrificial lives, I think that it's important to take note of the paradoxical nature of the idea of living sacrifice. 
In the Old Testament, sacrificial lambs never made it off the altar. They were placed on the altar, they were slaughtered, they, and they had no choice in the matter. They couldn't get off of it. They were secured there, and they were slaughtered. But Paul says that we are to be living sacrifices, which means that it is God's desire for us to live for him in a way that denies the things in our lives that we feel inside or want to do with our time that doesn't actually bring honor to God. But, but here's the difference between us and Old Testament animal sacrifices. We actually have a choice. We are living. We have a choice in the matter. We have moment by moment decisions to make where we either choose to do our own thing and, and live our own way, or we choose to lay down our rights. And we, we say, God, I want you to have your way in my life so, so that your will is accomplished in this world, and I get to be a part of that. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jesus said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but for whoever loses their life for me will save it. So we have this grand decision to make. Will we trust our own senses about how to live and eat and, and drink and treat people and care for ourselves? Or will we trust Jesus and how he tells us to live? And, and the result he promises will come from living our own way or if we live his way. The question you might want to ask yourself is, how is the way that you're living working for you today? How are your choices working for you in your life? It could be that if you're really honest, you need to sort of recalibrate. Maybe some of your senses have led you in a wrong way, and you're seeing the results of that in your life today. You can always choose to be recalibrated to God's way. Now, we can think that we're doing the right thing, what's best for us our whole lives, and we can still miss the mark. We are, we are often misled by feelings and as we journey through our lives as well. On July 16, 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr. was killed after he crashed his single-engine plane into the Atlantic Ocean right off of Martha's Vineyard. Now, all the reports about John F. Kennedy Jr. were that he, he actually was a really good pilot. He had 300 hours of flight experience, but he was flying at night and didn't have a lot of experience doing that. So that meant that he would be forced to rely on the plane's instrumentation rather than on his instincts, which he often did as he flew during the day. A 2011 issue of the Harvard Business Review reported it said, radar showed his plane ascending and descending repeatedly before it plunged into the ocean. Investigators determined that pilot error as a result of spatial disorientation was the probable cause of the crash. The tragic accident is a stark demonstration of what happens when we rely too heavily on our intuition in complex situations where our instinctual gut feel doesn't serve us well. Do you see the parallels here? I can't help but hear a message from God himself in this tragic story that when we choose to live our own way, we are flying blind. But when we entrust our lives to Jesus sacrificially in worship, we will find the life that we were searching for in the first place. So practically speaking, what does it look like to be a living sacrifice to God? 
Well, Romans 12 verse 2 tells us a whole lot. It gives us a lot to think about. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So basically, in this one verse, I see two guidelines for us as we are learning the practice of what it, what it actually looks like in our daily lives to be living sacrifices, as Paul prescribes um, in Scripture through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here's the first way. As you observe how people in the world live their lives, refuse to go with the flow of anything that goes against what Jesus would have you do. Okay, so I'm going to say it real quick again. As you observe people in your life, and as they live their lives, don't just go with the flow of anything that goes against what Jesus would have you do. Now, some of these things are more obvious than others. If someone around you is stealing, it's pretty obvious to most people. Most people who are Christians would say, yeah, that's wrong. You shouldn't steal. That's pretty low-hanging fruit for Christians. There are plenty of things today, though, that are confusing, and we need the Lord's wisdom in all that we do as we walk through and we navigate a, a culture that's, that's more post-Christian than ever, and it's, it's confusing, and, and it's sort of hard to figure out exactly how to walk these steps out. Years ago, Brandy's uncle, Brett Nicholson, um, he's a pastor of, of a church in Evansville, Indiana that he started 13 years ago, the actual same day that the Edge Church started. Um, he sat down with us and he said, he, he said to us, he said, there are going to be a lot of times in your lives that what you do isn't going to make a lot of sense to those around you. I was just like, yeah, but that's hard. I, I, I want people to understand why we make the decisions that we do. Now, he went on to explain that God would have us do things in our lives that will not make a lot of sense to some of those around us, but he will use us anyway for his purposes in both our weaknesses and in our strengths. It won't make sense to everyone around us, and that's okay. I have seen that to be true over and over again in our lives. The second guideline is what you put in your mind will change your heart and your action. I'm going to say it again. What you put in your mind, because you have a choice, will change your heart and your actions. Now, God doesn't want you to just try really hard to be good. He has already declared you to be new if you've submitted your life to Jesus. Let me say that again. I don't think we can hear that truth enough. Don't try so hard to be good thinking that you're gaining God's approval. He's already approved of you. You already have God's approval. If you've submitted your life to Jesus, he says that you are new. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. It is only after that that the Lord instructs us to learn to live differently by thinking differently. And that all starts by, by putting what is good and from God in our minds, which then starts to transform us on the inside, and that then comes out in our actions. So what are these things that we need to think about? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, um, the Apostle Paul gives us thinking guidelines. I, I think this is good for all of us. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's when we practice being living sacrifices by not doing what the world tells us is okay to do because everyone's doing it. Haven't, haven't you seen people say that? Haven't your kids said that? Haven't you said that before? I think I'm okay because everyone's doing that. Well, that's not the that's not the standard that God has for us. So when we train our minds to follow Christ and not the culture, God will make his will known to us more fully and his desire for our lives evident to us. Now, here's the thing. I almost always close my sermons, you might have noticed this, with a how-to, like how to get on this path of following Jesus. And I do that because I'm convinced more than ever that some people hear messages about God and really the main takeaway they have is I'm just going to muscle my way through this to-do list, this spiritual to-do list, and somehow I'm going to be okay with God. But the truth according to the Bible is that We all have a decision to make when it comes to God. And only you can make it for yourself. No one else can make it for you. It doesn't matter what your parents' background was. It doesn't matter how praying your grandparents were. You have a responsibility to respond to God for yourself with your own life. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it gives us a full picture of how God is inviting all of us to respond to the gift of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. The Apostle Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've never done this before, this is your very first act of worship. Your very first sacrifice to God is receiving the sacrifice that he made for you. And then after that, you get to learn to practice being the living sacrifice that he made you to be. Let's pray. God, every good thing that we have is a grace from you. Please fill us with a desire to learn to walk out what it looks like for us to be living sacrifices to you. Help us to grow in this quality as a community gathered in your name. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll be back with you after this final song. Thank you.